So, hey, if you're new, would you please be kind enough to fill out a welcome card? I would love to, to know and have a record of your attendance. If you have a new or regular attender or been around here for 10 years, if you have a prayer request, our staff would love to pray for you, for your family. Write down your prayer request on a welcome card. We, we prayed for several folks through cards this week in our staff meeting, and we would just love to lift you up in prayer. So take advantage of that. And last thing I want to mention is if you have children, uh, most of you probably know this already, but we have a generous amount of space downstairs in our lower level. And until we get in that building, which we hope to break ground on in spring of next year, uh, this is our space. So feel free to take them downstairs, check them in. We have people who love Jesus, love kids, and want to teach them the good news of the gospel, his plan for us, his salvation available to us. So Father, I pray that you would bless the study in your word this morning as we look for week two of two in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I pray you would just challenge us. I pray in some unconventional, maybe unexpected verses that we might hear your plan for our lives and that we might straighten out some myths that we have hung on to, some preconceptions that we've had that are wrong. I pray, Lord, that you would show us what is realistic in faith and life. I pray that you would give us just a dose not only of uh, reality, but of your grace and of the knowledge that you're with us and will be present. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there was a report given uh, a few years back of something that occurred on Lake Michigan. I'm not sure if any part of this is true, uh, but it's hilarious. And so I want to tell you this story this morning. A man buys a brand new Lincoln Navigator. He's got payments of $600 a month or north of that has it less than a week, decides to take it out on Lake Michigan while it's still frozen and trains some dogs for duck hunting. And so he and a buddy load up the navigator with guns and a trusty Labrador retriever of theirs, and they drive way out onto the lake. They have an area. They set up some decoys. Now all they need is a natural water landing for ducks. But because it is frozen and because an ice drill wouldn't really cut it, to have a spot for ducks to land on, they decide to take a stick of dynamite and blow a big hole in the ice. And so there they stand, uh, thinking that they may slip if they sit the dynamite stick down and take off running. One of them decides to throw the stick as far as he possibly can. Do you remember what else the individuals have along with them? A black Labrador retriever who absolutely loves chasing whatever the owner throws. And so the guy throws a stick of dynamite. The dog grabs a stick of dynamite right after it hits the ice. Genius number one thinks to himself, if, if I let the dog come any closer, we're all going to die. So he grabs a shotgun out of the cab and shoots the dog. It's full of birdshot, so it does nothing to stop this Labrador. It continues running towards him, so he shoots again. And by this time, the Labrador is so confused that he looks for cover. Where is the only place the Labrador is going to find cover? 
underneath the brand new Lincoln Navigator, and about 10 seconds later, all there is left is a huge hole in the middle of Lake Michigan, and these two guys are standing there holding a shotgun. <laughs> the best part is the insurance company said, a sinking vehicle in a lake by illegal use of explosives is not covered under our policy. So the man had not made a single one of those $600 a month payments. Most likely, it's a myth, but here's the point. A lot of people live foolishly. Yes or no? They don't give thought to their actions. They don't wrestle with how their actions might shape their futures. You may not have done anything that dumb, but the author of Ecclesiastes is encouraging us, all of us, to view life not from the perspective of where your now is, but where your decisions are going to lead down the road. Last week, we saw the majority of Ecclesiastes is written by a man named Solomon. He's a man with endless wealth, with wisdom, with, with women, with power, a list of accomplishments that anybody would be extremely proud of. And in spite of all of this, the Bible tells us that he felt like Hevel. Hevel, Hevel being the Hebrew word for vapor or smoke. It's, think of how a cloud looks like it's fun to jump on, fluffy, if you will, until you get in an airplane. And then it looks wispy. And you know that if you would jump on it, you would plummet right down to the earth. And Solomon says, that's what life's like. It looks fluffy, but in reality, from an earthly perspective, when we think about this outside of the perspective of a creator God, everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. Everything surprises us. We can toil all of our lives and still not find joy and happiness. And Solomon identifies three things in particular that disappoint that we looked at last week. The first is pleasure, power. The second is wisdom even, ironically, at least as a way of ensuring success in life. And the third, which is more surprising still, is worldly justice. That even given one's life to the pursuit of worldly justice, we're not going to see worldly justice on this side of heaven. That it's not going to be perfect until we get on the other side. And there's a second voice in Ecclesiastes, which is where I want to spend the time this morning. An editor, it's been called, who breaks into Solomon's monologue from time to time and either agrees with something that he said or clarifies something that he said and attempts to say, hey, that's one way of looking at it, Solomon, but let me give you God's way, God's perspective of looking at what you see through some, some kind of foggy glasses. The editor makes clear, pleasure and power are great things. They're great things. They're gifts given to us by God for enjoyment. But if you depend on those things for happiness, you will be disappointed. The editor makes clear that wisdom is awesome. 
it's good. We ought to seek it. But even wise living does not guarantee smooth sailing in this thing called life. Worldly justice structures are good. We seek it. We advocate for it. We want fairness and, and we want human rights and we want to protect the vulnerable. This is this pursuit. This is, this is God's heart, his plan. These are gifts of God. We should always be fighting for world, world justice. But as many of you know, even worldly justice will let us down. As corruption enters, as our, our efforts fall short. And so Solomon admits that his perspective only takes into account what happens underneath the sun. The phrase under the sun is replete throughout the book. And so in Ecclesiastes, the editor brings back in again God's perspective. How do you know when it's the editor and how do you know when it's Solomon? In most places, it's, it's obvious, um, but the editor is the one who draws conclusions. That's what the editor does. So now we're going to walk through a number of these conclusions in today's message that the editor draws. Last week's sermon was all about the futility of Solomon's thinking under the sun. Today's about God's perspective. Number one, I'll give you seven things. The first conclusion the editor draws is that you have to seek the God who is above the hevel. Seek the God who's above the life as we see it. Verses uh, 13 and 14 of chapter 12. To the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So at the end of the book, the editor reminds us that while it may not look like there's a sovereign God who's over it all, who's protecting, who's rewarding good and punishing evil, the rest of the Bible ensures us, assures us that there is indeed that God. And so the point Ecclesiastes is, is giving us is not, you ought to all be atheists because everything is, is vain, is purposeless, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, after all your, all your toil, give up on everything. Rather, instead become a humble theist, somebody who loves the Lord, who loves God, and, and, and puts away these simple, neat theories about how God ought to operate. If I do this, life's going to be smooth sailing. If I do this, it's all going to be neat and wonderful. He's saying that's not how God works. Instead, look to the God who sees it all, who's on top of all the hevel, all the smoke, all the vapor. Trust in him. Look to the God who's entered into hevel for us in the form of Jesus Christ, who came down to earth and died on a cross. Notice the book of Job, which teaches us God's always doing something in your life, even when you don't have the right perspective to see it. John Piper put it this way. At any given point, God is pursuing about 10,000 different things in your life, and you are probably aware of three of them. Seek the God above the hevel. Number two, devote yourself to pursuing wisdom. 
Let's go now to chapters uh, 10 and 11, verse 2 of chapter 10. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. This is not a political statement. Okay? Don't go posting to Facebook. The word right in the ancient world means skillful. The word left in the ancient world means clumsy or inept. So the editor is making clear, yes, life is not foolproof. But wisdom is still going to lead you more often to success and skill in life than foolishness will. So pursue wisdom. The scriptures, they, 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 it's, it's why as a church we ought to pursue the scriptures. Because in the scriptures there is wisdom. The wisdom ought to bleed out of us. The scriptures ought to root out inconsistencies and sin in our lives. We ought to know them until they become the fabric of who we are, until it's the dominant thing that shapes us, our career, our self-image, our families. Look at what else he says. Verse 1. Previous verse, chapter 10, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. He says a little bit of foolishness can mess all the wisdom up. Uh, today's cultural equivalent of this would be to find a big hair in your butter burger. Kind of ruins the whole thing when you find a big hair in your butter burger, Does it not? It's just kind of frustrating. You don't even want to order another butter burger. You just want to leave. You want to get the heck out of there. I've never found a hair in my butter burger. I'm using this as an example. You see, and don't spray Febreze on something after the odor has set in, in your life. Root out the inconsistencies. If you don't, later in life, a few matters of integrity are going to become something extremely damaging. You can have all of this big chunk of wisdom over here, but if you got a little touch of foolishness over here, it can ruin the whole lump. This is why we just feel so passionate. You heard Tom and Nicole talk about this over and over about small groups. We have more people in small groups in our church this semester than we ever have. Over 100 people pursuing Jesus weekly in a living room. It's awesome. Why is that important? Because I can't in a large circle on a Sunday morning in church. This is like the air war, right? I can give you cover from above. But I can't help you win the war, right? It's in friendships. It's in the ground war that battles are won. And so, devote yourself to pursuing wisdom. Part of wisdom is accountability. It's doing life with people. It's asking people to get involved with your spiritual journey. Number three. Everybody say number three. Live by wisdom, but take risks. Take risks. This is what we're taught in Ecclesiastes. Verse 4 of chapter 11. One who watches the wind will not sow. And the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. 
thought this verse would be suitable for farmers because we have a lot of farmers. Here you have a farmer who never sows his seed because he's so scared that the weather's not going to cooperate. So he's not productive. What if there's a sandstorm? No, we wouldn't have that here in central Wisconsin. What if it doesn't rain? What if it rains too much? What if there's an earthquake? What if there's a meteor shower? What if, what if, what if? And throughout Ecclesiastes, the writer acknowledges we cannot control things. And there is nothing in life that guarantees our success. Not great skill, not great planning, not even righteous living, we learned last week. It's completely protective. Time and chance, we read last week, happen to us all. We must embrace that. We must take risks. Verse 6 of chapter 11, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In other words, don't let life's uncertainty paralyze you with fear so that you never get anything done for the kingdom. We made the point last week, two people can make the exact same decisions in life. One person can become a billionaire, another person can end up in poverty. This is what Ecclesiastes teaches us about life under the sun. That's entirely true. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15, in my vain life. <laughs> How many of you take advice from a person that started off a sentence that way? In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Solomon's saying there's about half of you who struggle with impulsiveness and, and need friends to warn you when, when you're about to do something foolish. That was kind of the previous point. But then there's this other half of you that struggle with uncertainty. And because of your uncertainty, you never get anything done. You never get going in life. You don't become who you could become. And Solomon's saying at some point, you got to throw seed out. Keep your eyes in the skies, but then take them off the skies and do something. God hasn't promised no failure. At some point, kingdom stuff is a risk. Here's a sermon in a nutshell thus far. Live by wisdom. It's better than living without it. But that's all you can do. Life is going to throw you some curveballs. You need to expect them, anticipate them, and take appropriate risks. Number four, don't be overly religious. Don't be overly religious. I'm so glad that I feel like this is a point, a moot point for our people. I don't feel like this is our church. I love that I don't feel like this is our church. But just in case, I want to emphasize the point. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Another, another translation says, why should you wear yourself out? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? The point is this. You can be perfect and still have everything go wrong. That's what life teaches us under the sun. Second, no one on earth is completely sinless. 
There's only one man who's ever been on earth and completely sinless. It was Jesus. So the wise person recognizes God doesn't base his acceptance of us on our perfection. How many of you are grateful for that? Amen? There's grace. There are a lot of people who every time something bad happens, they're overly religious and they think, what did I do wrong? What is God punishing me for? And we're told that we're being overly religious. Maybe you're overly religious in the way you pray. Do you obsess over every motive that you have about your prayer life? And do you worry that you will pray the perfect will of God when you pray? Jesus talked about prayer. Jesus said we're to be like children. I don't know about your kids, but my kids don't obsess over their motives when they ask their father for something. My kids don't say, Dad, I'd like to ask you something, but if you just pause, Dad, just for a minute, first I need to make sure my motives are right in my asking. They just tell me what they need, right? And then they tell me repeatedly what they need. And the word no is like this little piece of useless information that I give them. And they continue to ask and ask. And the word no is in fact an invitation to continue to ask again and again. And the author is saying, often we try to pray, we're immediately confronted with how unspiritual we are. But in contrast, children never stop asking. They're not frozen by their selfishness. They just come as they are. They're entirely self-absorbed. They just say whatever is on their minds. And Jesus is saying, that's how you ought to approach me in prayer. Come as you are. Verse 20 of chapter 7. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. And yet God saves us in this state. And yet God asks for all of our junk. And, and even with a messed up part, he receives us. Don't be overly religious. Quit trying to become something you're not and just trust in God's fatherly grace over your life. Amen? Number five, almost done. Lay down your Messiah complex. You're not the answer to every problem. Solomon tells us that, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. What's his point? His point is that God has a job for you. He intends for you to do that job. He also intends for you to enjoy your life along the way. We're being reminded why is, this, why is this even needed? Because a portion of us live with a Messiah complex. We think, how can I ever relax? How can I enjoy life? How can I possibly take a vacation? There's so much that I'm being asked to do. And we're being reminded, not every cause has to be yours. Not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it. Did you know that? God has something for you to do. Figure that out. Do it well and be happy. 
Don't go through life as if everything rests on you, as if everything is your burden, your responsibility. Rather, enjoy your life. Number six, find happiness in the present, not the future. This is as I was just in, in thought about this morning, prayerfully so, I felt like somebody in here needs to hear this. Verse 24 of chapter two, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Apart from God, it is a gift of God to enjoy our lives. That's a separate gift of God. There's things, there's people, that's relationship, but the ability to enjoy them is a separate gift of God. And Solomon's saying happiness is only something that we can experience in the present, in the now. Did you know that many people live as if happiness is only something that we can attain in the future? That's the way they think. Or something that we need to mourn that we no longer have because we had it in the past. That's the way some people think. Blaise Pascal, 18th century French philosopher, said this, we seem never to be able to be happy with the present. Either we yearn for the future and wish it would hurry up and get here, or we mourn the past and wish it had not flown by so quickly. Are not all of your thoughts occupied with the past or the future? We scarcely ever think about the present, for it is mostly painful to us. So we conceal it from our sight because it troubles us. And if it happens to be pleasing to us, we only focus on the pain of it slipping away. Most of the time, we only think of the present to plan for our future. The present is never our end. The present is our means. The future alone is our end. So we never live. We only hope to live someday because we are always preparing to be happy. We never are so. Andy Bernard of The Office. <laughs> I wish there were a way you could know you were living in the good old days before they pass you by. Here's the big point. If you're not happy now, a change of circumstances isn't going to make you happy. Happiness is a gift God gives you for the present. I fear that some of you will look around as you get older and, and realize that you gave away the greatest moments of your life to chase some elusive facet of faux happiness. Solomon says, God alone can give you happiness and he'll give it to you now. Alexander the Great is said to have died unhappy because he was wishing for another world to conquer. Number seven. Embrace and enjoy the seasons of life. We would be remiss if we didn't read the most famous passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep 
keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God's assignment for our lives involves seasons. Wisdom is embracing each one appropriately. Foolishness resists the process. How many of you people try to resist aging? I used to love soda, okay? I used to drink a two liter a day and sleep well at night and not put on a pound. Now I cannot even look at a bowl of macaroni and cheese without gaining weight. I'm aging, okay? How many of you know people who spend hours at the gym, the spa, the salon, trying to tan it or tweak it or tattoo it or twist it or tuck it or lift it, thinking they might still rock it? They ain't rocking it, okay? You will soon discover it's, it's, you're, it's diminishing returns, right? You're going to die, Okay, this is the process. This is God's, men do it in their 50s. They buy convertibles. They wear shirts with buttons down to their navel. They leave it unbuttoned. They try to chase girls in their 20s. They're trying to get back to some former stage of glory. God has a purpose for you in retirement, right? You're not in your 20s anymore. Quit trying to hang on to relevance. Use retirement to glorify God, How many self-storage places are there? Get rid of your junk. It's from the past. My goodness, there's a time to let go of the past. If you're a middle schooler and and you go to, to high school and then to college, quit playing video games, right? There's just a day where you give it up. Be an adult. Let go of your high school years. They were awesome. Maybe you've got an old romance. You thought it was coming back. Let it go. You thought it was going somewhere. It didn't. Let it go. God has a whole new life in front of you. Happiness is not back there in what you lost. Happiness is for today. And if you've lost somebody, rest assured, you will be reunited with the one you lost if they were a believer in heaven. God has that season even up ahead. But you can't be a help to the people in your now if you can't let go of the past. So God has ordained seasons. I'll say one more thing. Quit looking forward to the next season of parenting. If you're a parent, it's a miserable way to go. You're going to miss all the years of enjoyment. Be happy where you are. We'll end coming back to where we started, and I'll pray. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Father, I pray that we would quit trying to wish our way to joy 
Lord, I pray that you would give us happiness with what we have. Lord, maybe instead of of more stuff, what we need is to be happy with what we have. Maybe instead of another season, maybe we need to be happy in a season we're in. Lord, give us that gift to enjoy where we are, to adore our families, to cherish our friendships, to love the now. In Jesus' name, amen.